everyone, and welcome to 7 Mile Chats, a podcast where each week I, Julia Struckley, talk with someone about a scripture verse of their choosing, and we look at that scripture from different angles. I'm a scripture teacher at a Catholic school, I've been a youth minister, and I have a master's in theology, but the purpose is just to have a conversation about scripture and try to apply it to today's world. And today I'm walking and talking with someone I've not yet met in person, but I was put in touch with by the Xavier Society, which she is a part of. She's an English professor at Broward College and was recently featured in an article in the in Florida Catholic that received a Catholic Media Association Award. It's Francesca Marinero. Hi, Francesca. Hey, Julia. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for being here. Um, we were chatting a little bit before we started recording, and you shared a little bit that your background is Italian Catholic. Yes. We were talking about just like the different types of Catholicism, and you kind of related a little bit to one of my guests who shared about like New Orleans Catholicism. So I don't know if you want to share a little bit about yourself or your background. So I guess sort of starting off there, I was thinking a little bit about it before, and I was thinking about the fact that Italian Catholicism is sort of its own rich, intense, very robustly flavored version of Catholicism. And I was trying to figure out why that is. And I think Hmm. in general, it it has to do with the fact that Italians are very um, intense and passionate people about Mm -hmm. everything we do to begin with. But I also think that maybe it's because when we think about Catholicism, um, When we think about Catholicism, we think about the fact that at the very center of what we believe is the Eucharist and the and the Last Supper. And when you think about Italian culture, so much of what Mm. we do, so many of our rituals revolve around the sharing of meals and the breaking Mm -hmm. of bread. And so I I wonder if that might have something to do with it, because so many of our rituals pertaining to the faith are also based around food, things like having seven fish on Christmas Eve Mm -hmm. and all of that. So I think that that maybe has some sort of connective tissue there. I love that. No, I think that makes perfect sense. Um, I am, my family is all Eastern European. And so it's a very different type of Catholicism there too. We're very much kind of stoic and we don't, we're not very affectionate. It's like the opposite a little bit of Italian Catholicism when you guys are very open and emotional and, and we as Polish Catholics do not like to show emotion. So it's a very, I went to um, Częstochowa uh, a couple of years ago. And when I got there, I just, I, I'm like, oh, this is why I am the way I am. Cause like everybody was very reverent, very quiet, mm-hmm. but kind of like pushing a little bit, like a little passive aggressive. And I was like, oh, <laughs> it was anyways, that's an aside. What else would you like to share about yourself, either your background or what you teach? Anything? Well, um, so I teach at, I I live in the Fort Lauderdale area of Florida, and I teach English. I'm an assistant professor of English at Broward College. I teach composition and a little bit of literature, and I've been there since, I've been there since 2015. I'm super happy there, and I think just in terms of me a little bit in general, my my faith background is that I, I am a cradle Catholic. I went to Catholic school from preschool all the way up until 12th grade. Both of my parents are retired Catholic school teachers. So the walk of faith was always very much ingrained into my life. Whenever I talk to people about being Catholic, I describe it as being Catholic is almost, I think, a part of my DNA. I think I was baptized mm-hmm. when I was three weeks old. So it's mm-hmm. it's always been there. But I think that my relationship with Jesus has been 
something, of course, that has evolved. And as an adult, it's certainly deeper and richer than it was as, as a child. And when I hear people talk about their relationship with the faith, particularly as adults, sometimes we hear stories about people leaving the faith and then returning or just their faith deepening. And very often people will talk about these St. Paul road to Damascus epiphanies where the light bulb goes on and they realize mm -hmm. just how much mm -hmm. their relationship to Jesus matters. But for me, I think it, I don't know that that's ever happened. I think for me, Jesus has always sort of been that quiet presence nudging me in the back and challenging me to always be a better person. Every day I feel like I know what he's asking of me. I know what he's created me to be. And I'm sure everybody feels like no matter what they do at the end of the day, somehow they've managed to fall short of that. But the great thing mm -hmm. about that relationship is that he's always reminding us that we can do better because he knows what we're capable of. And I think that also has to do with the fact that as a person of faith, I was born blind at birth. And so I think, or with partial vision and then gradually lost my vision over time until I was about 13, I think was when it disintegrated to the point where I was no longer able to read and write print and that sort of thing. And I think that maybe in its own way has also impacted the, the walk of faith that I have because people talk a lot about healing in the gospels, mm -hmm. of course. And I get these people that will walk up to me and say, oh, if you just pray, Jesus will heal you. And my response mm -hmm. to that is always, well, there are conversations in scripture where Jesus is asked at one point when they encounter a blind man, what did his parents do? What did he do? Or what did his parents do that he was made blind? And his response is mm -hmm. always nothing by anything that was done, but that the works of God could be made visible through him. And I think mm -hmm. that that is such a powerful message in terms of when we're given, when we're handed adversities, what do we do with them? Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh, you said so much there. And thank you so much for sharing. I think this is going to be a great conversation. I can't wait to see what you, you have to say about First Corinthians and Paul. You mentioned his conversion story. I can relate to your story about I'm a cradle Catholic, was raised Catholic. And I think my faith has just kind of been slow and steady, certainly highs and lows. But I can relate to what you said about Jesus kind of always being just kind of quietly steady in the background. So I can't wait to talk a little bit more about, about this passage and your faith. So thank you again for sharing. Um, what I'm going to have you do next is read the passage that you've chosen. So whenever you are ready, you are going to read verses 4 through 7 from 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Okay. There are different kinds of spiritual gifts, but the same Spirit. There are different forms of service, but the same Lord. There are different workings, but the same God who produces all of them in everyone. To each individual is given the manifestation of the Spirit for some benefit. Okay, so I want to give a little background about 1 Corinthians, and then I'm going to get into maybe why you pick this and all of that. So I love St. Paul. I've, that's well documented on, the, on this podcast. Um, I was with the Daughters of St. Paul for a minute. Um, I was a postulant, so I love St. Paul. And uh, 1 Corinthians was, Corinthians was a, a, Greek, a community in Greece. 
And Paul was very fond of this community. I'm actually surprised that we haven't done First Corinthians on this podcast yet because there it is so rich and Paul is um, so generous with them and says so much to them. Chapter 13 of First Corinthians is probably the most famous where we get the description of love, love what love is, what isn't. Um, but you've chosen this uh, chapter right before that. And in this particular chapter, Paul is addressing um, my introduction to this book talked about like how there was factionalism happening in the community in Corinth at this time. And Paul was writing to them from Ephesus, trying to encourage them to be more united. And so I think like what you picked about the different gifts, he's telling them that, you know, everybody has a gift to contribute. There's no need to like factionalize yourselves. Like we're supposed to be using our gifts to bring people together. And I think that's so important right now. I feel like even with our church, this is my personal opinion, we're kind of a little fractured uh, in some areas right now. So um, focusing on that unification of what we can all bring to the table, I think is really important. But why did you pick this passage, Francesca? Well, I guess it w- it's interesting that you mentioned again that this is right before 1 Corinthians 13. And of course, mm-hmm. uh, that is the chapter that, as you said, everybody knows so well. <laughs> the chapter that is read at weddings. I read from that chapter mm-hmm. at my brother's wedding. And so everybody's, anybody can quote from that chapter. And I think it's important that 12 comes right before for that, that this mm-hmm. chronologically is because everything that he's telling them about moving away from that division and trying to create more unity, he's giving them all of these guidelines for establishing the church at Corinth. And in the end, the punchline in, that we get in chapter 13 is, hey, do all of this with love, right? Everything mm-hmm. I'm telling you. And so I think if we look at those two things side by side, One of the things that always strikes me and going back to, again, my personal story of navigating the world and my faith journey as a person with a disability is that it can be hard sometimes to show people or to demonstrate to people that we have talents, that we have gifts and that we can contribute productively to to society. And this is probably true of anyone. Anybody has felt at one time or another that they are not valued, that their talents are not being recognized or that they don't feel like they have anything to give. And this this is a passage that tells us you have been instilled with some spiritual gift. God has given you something to go out in the, into the world to do. And you have to remember that you are valued, that you are recognized. And I think that particularly during the pandemic, this was important because we were all separated physically, but having the opportunity to connect virtually, it was really interesting that I was able in a lot of ways to do so much more because someone would say, okay, I need you to do this. I need you to go to this meeting. I need you to be at this particular function. And I never had to worry about asking the question of, okay, you know, what am I going to do? How am I going to navigate my transportation? I could always say yes to things that may have been more challenging for me to say yes to in other environments. And it reminded me that All it really takes is to share with others, this is what I can do. This is what I can bring to the table. Just give me an opportunity to find my niche and I will be able to to serve well and to contribute to the community. 
That's so well said. Oh my gosh. I, I agree with you. I think that during the pandemic, of course it was, it's difficult and we all experienced it in different ways and had different challenges. Um, but I, I, like you, I think I found a lot of opportunities. I'm a teacher as well. I know that you're mm -hmm. a teacher. How was teaching during the pandemic for you, if I might ask? Yeah. Teaching during the pandemic was something that I was as many educators were, I think, resistant to at first. Mm -hmm. And then I found that it taught me so much about different ways to interact with my students and keep them engaged. And also just going back to, again to this passage is it reminds you of what you're given to do and the fact that it's also not necessarily your job to be the be-all, end-all answer to everyone's problems. I had a lot of students coming to me with so many difficulties during the pandemic, everything ranging from difficulty accessing the technology to do their schoolwork to obviously students were getting sick, their family members were getting sick, other things were going on during the pandemic that were, of course, pertaining to issues relating to social and racial justice that were impacting students' lives and their emotional and their mental states. And I'm the kind of person that wants to reach out and wrap my arms around them and help them. But mm -hmm. I also can't do all of that for them. But I was reminded of, well, maybe I can't solve this problem for you, but I have access to the resources that I can send you to that can. So it's all about creating that connective tissue in our community. And if I can't help you, guess what? I probably know someone who can. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Amen. I totally agree. I think yeah, there've been so many challenges and, and things in the news. And, um, you know, we're talking about this passage that Paul was seeing these, like these breaks, like the, the factionalism that I mentioned. And I think that we have, have that, that today, you know, and I think you're right that maybe sometimes we feel lost and we want to physically help <laughs> and we can't. And so, but providing resources. And I, I've always felt like education is what I'm called to right now. And I feel like that, you know, we shouldn't take our gifts for granted. I think sometimes we, you know, we maybe downplay our gifts. You had mentioned earlier, like finding our little niche. And then I think that takes the confidence though, to like say, this is my gift and embrace it. So I don't know if you want to speak to any of those things. I kind of threw out a whole bunch of stuff there, but like Paul's confidence really strikes me. Yeah. That we have to embrace what we have, that we have to embrace what God's given us. And you talk, it's interesting that you mentioned Paul's confidence, which I think is something mm -hmm. that a lot of us don't have. Mm -hmm. A lot of us feel on any given day that we're, we have somebody looking over our shoulders, that we have this incredible sense of imposter syndrome. And today's the day mm -hmm. that I'm going to wake up and somebody's going to discover that I'm a fraud, right? And mm -hmm. I think that it's interesting. One of the other reasons that this passage jumped out at me was because anybody that is in academia, particularly higher ed, knows a lot about the the tenure process or, you know, going up for tenure, continuing contract. And that's something that I'm actually in the process of getting ready for right now. And part mm -hmm. of that process is putting together a portfolio of all of the magnificent things that you've done. And as I look at that and I try to catalog that and I look at things that my colleagues have done in other samples as I try to put together things, when I first started the process, I was looking at the work of one of my colleagues and I thought to myself, oh my gosh, this person makes me look lazy. I've done nothing. Mm -hmm. And then I had to step back and say, well, wait, there are things that I have done that this person hasn't mm -hmm. done, not because they couldn't or because they didn't want to, was, but more because, you know, Jesus said, I want that person there and I want you mm -hmm. here. And so nobody can be 
everything to everyone. That's so well said. And that hits totally with what, with what this passage is, right? I think you're so right to say that we're constantly, comp- you're, that example I can relate to, like we're constantly comparing ourselves because of social media, because of our culture and that how we always want to be the best and one up each other and, and kind of be perfect. But what you said earlier about Jesus encountering like the, the blind man in scripture and how that person, um, I can't, I don't want to, I don't want to butcher your words. Like you phrased it so beautifully, but that like, we can learn from um, adversity. We can learn from, I don't know, just like, it's not about comparing ourselves, but really like we've been saying, embracing that, what makes us special, you know, and what that gift is, but we need that confidence to do that. So what, how do you, how, how can we be like St. Paul, do you think, and maybe start to embrace our gifts a little bit more? I think that there are really two things that we can do for ourselves is to say, I, to remind ourselves that I have value, I have gifts, I have things and that I can bring and also to, to pray about it. If you don't know what you're supposed to do, ask, ask God, pray to him. Look, I have this gift. I can teach, I can write, I can uh, play an instrument. I, whatever, you know, whatever that talent is. I can tie a square knot. I can crack eggs without getting shell in the yolk, whatever it is. You know, those are little things. But my point is, whatever it is that you can do, how can you do something with that? And if you're not sure, pray about it because that's something mm-hmm. that that I've done before. And also just to to everyone is look for the gifts in people. This is particularly true of anybody that is in a position of leadership or or management. Those kinds of people, I think, have to have those skills in, in abundance, is to look around and be able to say, what, what can my team do for me? What are the specific skill sets that, that my team has? And go into that, recognizing that everybody can do something, whether it's in your church community or in your office or in your classroom, in your department, just really focus on bringing out everyone's strength. Because I know for myself that one of the most rewarding things about my job, besides the fact that I love my students, is that I love my colleagues. I love the fact that my colleagues, particularly within my own department, are never afraid of coming to me to say, um, I need you to help me with this. I need you to help to serve on this committee because somebody backed out or I need your advice. I'm having trouble with a student. And they're not even thinking about me as a person with a disability. They're thinking of me as a colleague that has skills and talents and is good at what I do. And that makes me feel like I'm a part of something. It makes me feel like I'm a part I'm a unit of that larger body that is doing mm-hmm. bigger things. That's so lovely. I, I love that because I think, I think even within workspaces, um, sometimes my colleagues and I, I love my colleagues too, but I think sometimes there is still a little bit of competition there or maybe not wanting to like impose or to bother a colleague. But I really think what you described um, when we collaborate and we go to each other and say, hey, how do you do this? Or what are your suggestions for this? Or I'm struggling with this. I think that that makes us better when we work together. And that goes right into what comes right after this passage um, in chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians, like one body, many parts. And I love that. I know that wasn't what you picked, but I just love that image of solidarity that like, 
you know, everybody working together, that is the body. And when one part of that body is suffering or hurting, we have to help that part because it is connected to the body. So I don't know if you wanted to speak a little bit about kind of what comes after this um, in chapter yeah. 12. It's interesting because he does talk, he does talk about that. And he says that when you're a part of the body, you're in all the way, right? You can't just say mm-hmm. that you can't say I'm not a part of the body or the arm or the leg can't say I'm not a part of the body. Everything functions together. We all sink or swim together. And I I think that's one of the things that makes this such a a rich chapter mm-hmm. of of First Corinthians because it really I think encapsulates what it means to be Catholic and what it means to be Christian is that we're all a part of something. We're all a part of something greater. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I don't want to get too political or anything like that. I want to make you uncomfortable, but well, I, when I think of, I use that example, that, that passage as um, when I teach about solidarity and I just think we, we, you addressed um, some things with your students that they were seeing in the pandemic you know, we knew there was Black Lives Matter movement and things like that. And some people struggled when I would say that that is part of being Catholic is to, you know, exemplify voices that aren't being heard or to lift up voices that aren't being heard and, and working for those who are suffering. You know, I don't know if you want to say anything about that, but I think this passage relates to kind of what we've been seeing in our world and our country. I think it absolutely does, because going back to the the thing, the issue of, of spiritual gifts is one of the great watchwords that has, or some several of the great watchwords that have come out of these social justice movements, whether it's Stop Asian Hate or Black Lives Matter mm-hmm. or Me Too, is inclusion and diversity and equity. And you know what? That is really what St. Paul is talking about. Because mm-hmm. when we talk about inclusion, it's about finding a place for everyone at the table. Yes. So then then my next thing is, and again, I don't want to get in and this is kind of a hot topic. So when I was re- doing my research for this episode in my introduction to uh, 1 Corinthians, it mentions that Paul, one of the issues in, in addition to the factionalism is that had to do with like discrimination with the Eucharist, which I thought was really timely. Um, it said in my introduction that in the celebration of the Eucharist, certain members were discriminated against others. Um, that they were having issues of some like drinking too freely at the meal or um, denying Christian social courtesies to the poor um, members. And so I just, I don't know, I feel like we're still seeing this stuff today. Um, So I thought that was really interesting that part of the issue they were dealing with is like discriminating people who, you know, how they, how they want to receive communion or I don't know um, who is worthy of communion. I don't know if you know what I mean, but um, I just thought that was interesting. Yeah, it is. I think we've seen a lot of that and, you know, conversations about making decisions about and judgment calls about who is worthy of receiving communion or not worthy of receiving communion. It's such a difficult thing because at the end of the day, it's about your relationship with Jesus. And do you feel like you can come to the table and do you feel like you can sit mm-hmm. at the table and, and give? And that, you know, at the end of the day, that that's that's really what it's all about. You know, we have our doctrine, we have our church doctrine, we have our callings and we have what we believe. And then at the, at the very end of that, at the punchline is Christ telling us not to judge others because, you know, so it's like, wait, where do we go with that? 
Right. Like the teachings are there for to, in my opinion, like how I see it is they're there to form us and our conscience and our relationship with God. Um, anyways, I just thought it was really interesting when I was reading this. I was like, oh, this is very timely. So thank you for picking, you know, a timely passage in, in many ways. Um, what else would you like to say about this passage that you've picked? I think the one thing that just relating it again to my to my own experiences, particularly with my experiences with teaching, it's I talked earlier about bringing out your own gifts, but also bringing out gifts in in others. And because I teach a lot of general education courses, I get students who aren't really sure what they want to do with their lives. I also get a lot of students who are in this situation where I don't really want to go to college, but I made a deal with my parents that I could live at home, but I had to go to school. And so you have these situations where you're really helping people to find a path in find a path in life. And at the end of all of this, I think once again, it's to circle back around to what we were talking about earlier about the way that chapter 12 and that first Corinthians 12 and first Corinthians 13 are, are so beautifully juxtaposed in my, in my office on campus, one of the, I have several quotations hanging on my wall. And one of them is from the wonderfully admirable, um, Fred Rogers, who, of course, many generations of children grew up with his with his television show. I was one of them who was so greatly influenced by his work. And the quotation that I have on my wall is just a very simple one. It's love is at the root of all learning. And for me, I think having the opportunity and one of the things I'm really looking forward to about returning to face-to-face -face learning is having that open door where my students can just come into my office and just sit down and say hi and talk to me about what's going on around them, what's going on in their lives, talk to me about their career interests, talk to me about their families. I had a student who used to bring his infant son to office hours with me and that gave that gave me such a beautiful glimpse into what his life outside the classroom looked like and I think if we understand what people's walks are, mm -hmm. we can have a greater love for them and a greater appreciation for their lives and also a greater appreciation of what their gifts are. Mm -hmm. Amen. That's so, I was going to, I love how you tied it all together like that. And your students are so blessed and lucky to have you because you just sound, I mean, that's such a good check for us as teachers that love is, is at the root of it. You know, if we don't love, I've always said, if I become that teacher that everybody knows that like, it's kind of, she's on her way out, like she is ready to retire and everybody knows it. You know, I, I don't want to get to that point. I want to always reflect that love and my students, you know, should know that I, they can come to me with anything and I don't ever want to be that you know, like that the love is not there anymore. The passion isn't there anymore because you're absolutely right. We're there to lift up our students and help them to recognize their gifts. You know, we've all been at a place in our lives, as we've talked earlier, where maybe we weren't confident about our gifts. We didn't think that we had anything to offer. And I do see that a lot in, in our students. And um, so I really, I love that you, that you mentioned that that's what we're called to do is to, to help them recognize their gifts and, and to love them. And I think that's what St. Paul is saying too. So as we wrap up, what are anything, last thoughts you'd like to, to leave us with about this passage or, or anything in general? I suppose really the most important thing, again, is to just really reiterate one of the points that we made earlier about thinking about 
first of all, recognizing that you are important, that you are valued, that you have unique talents. And I realize that I'm sort of starting to sound a little bit like Mr. Rogers there, right? Like just the way you are, you're, you, you know, you, you have, you're perfect precisely as you are and you have important gifts. And I think again, the reminder to, to others and for, for all of us really, no matter what we do to look around us and try to see if, there is somebody who is struggling to find a place, struggling to find a niche, uh, to try to bring that person out and say, well, what are you, help them find, what are they good at? What can they do? Because everybody, everybody can do something. Mm -hmm. And we're all a part of that body. So we, we can help each other find those gifts, appreciate one another's gifts, recognize we all have different gifts. And that, that's what makes the body of Christ beautiful. And, um, I don't know. We need to be reminded. I know it sounds cheesy, but I think we need to be reminded of that. I think we we all can hear that and be reminded. So thank you so much, Francesca, for bringing this uh, passage. It's a, it's a perfect one for where we're at right now. Um, at the end of each episode, I give people an opportunity to kind of plug anything that they've got going on, any projects, any websites or social media you want to draw our attention to. My social media presence sort of waxes and wanes depending on different things that are going on. You can find me on mostly on Twitter. You can find me at uh, fmarinero17 on Twitter. Mostly you're going to see things about teaching and education and higher ed with a pretty much of a mixture of things that are going on in, I'm pretty active in Jane Austen fandom because that's my background is 19th century Brit lit. So I'm always sort of dipping a toe into that. And I think um, obsessed is probably not even strong enough of a word <laughs> to explain my feelings for Jane Austen. So that's probably going to be that there's been a lot of conversation going on in that particular fandom right now about different things relating to to social justice and and racial justice and also just you know the kinds of gender issues that that we mm -hmm. see that crop up in society that are also present in her work and how we can cultivate healthy you know how we can cultivate healthy relationships with each other so I'm part of a lot of conversations with that but also just making sure that we can give all of our students equitable access to to education. So there's those kinds of different conversations going on on my social media. <laughs> I love that. I love the Jane Austen fandom. I think that's great. I'm not necessarily a part of it, but I have a deep appreciation for her and her work. And I love that you're saying that the themes that you're right, there are many themes in her works that are <laughs> still relevant today, you know, so I love that you're you're sharing that. Um, we probably should also plug the Xavier Society, which kind of put us in touch. I know that they are present on Instagram. Yes. I think at, at Xavier Society, all spelled out. They've been pushing a lot of the materials that they've been publishing and interpreting and translating into Braille recently. I don't know if you want to get, is there a website that we could check out or anything that you want to point us to? They are also, I believe on, they are also, I believe on Twitter and I think it's the same Instagram and I think it's the same handle as, as their, as their Instagram handle. And it's really useful to, when you see a lot of the things that are looking, going on in their timeline, they're really good at publishing information about their, their audio and their Braille publications that, that they have 
that they're giving access to for, for their clients, everything from just making sure that everybody has access to copies of missiles for mass and accessible formats to the latest Matthew Kelly book. I know there are probably in this particular listeners of this particular podcast, I'm sure we have some Matthew Kelly fans out there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. No, I, I I was not really aware of their work until I found this big Catholic community on Instagram after doing this podcast. And I'm just blown away. I mean, I think that the resources that they are providing and making available are are awesome and important. So I'm glad and I'm glad they connected us, fellow teachers and educators. I think this is great. Um, if people want to find me on Instagram, I'm at seven mile chats all spelled out. And I also have a Twitter account that I mostly speak about education. I'm really into stream activities. Um, so you'll see a lot about that. But you can find me on Twitter at Struckley one M-S-S-T-R-U-K-E-L-Y-1. Thank you, Francesca, so much for being here today. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Bye, everyone. Have a great day.